What's happening guys? Sam Adams here and welcome to what appears to be the final episode of Caffeinate today for July the 24th of 2019. Of course, I am your host and welcome to today's show. If you are brand new to the program, this is not going to be the standard episode of Caffeinate because it is, as I said, the last episode. Over the past few months, I've been giving a lot of thought as to how I wanted to continue to do the podcast because it has become such a huge part of my life. It's become a huge part of the content that I make. And of course, I want to give it the best chance to succeed. And so I've been trying to figure out how I want to do that. I wanted to wait until I moved into the new place, got settled in the new job before I figured out what was next for Caffeinate and for the podcast and for my content overall because I've been making videos and podcasts and streams for the better part of 10 years at this point. Uh, it's kind of insane to think about how long I have been paying attention to the industry, uh, keeping up with the news, and trying to keep you guys up to date and informed while sharing my opinions. And it is without a doubt something that I enjoy on a daily basis. I adore what I do and I'm not going to be stopping anytime soon. But Caffeinate, as you know it, is coming to a close. Today is going to be the final episode of the show we like to call Caffeinate, but instead it is going to be taken and rebranded into something that is times and times, perhaps even 10 times better than what we have currently. And so to those that are curious as to what is next for the show, I want to be the first to introduce you to the Jam Pack Report Daily Gaming News Show. This is essentially going to be caffeinate, but better. It's going to be everything that I always wanted it to be and more. The Jam Pack Report is going to be a daily gaming news show hosted five days a week by yours truly, Samuel Adams, right here on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams if you did want to catch the show live. And then it is taken down and put up exactly where you find all of the other content that you already know and love from yours truly. If you are already subscribed on a podcast service to Caffeinate, you have nothing to worry about. The podcast art is going to be updated directly after today's show. If you are already subscribed on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media, you have nothing to worry about. The Jam Pack Report is just going to be a brand new version of what we have come to know and love. And quite frankly, I'm very, very excited about what we have coming soon because I wanted to rebrand, I wanted to redesign, but this name, this evolution for me means so much. And the name itself I want to kind of riff on for a minute because I thought about it long and hard. I laid it out, I kind of thought about how I wanted to encapsulate what I was doing, how I wanted to name and label what I was doing. And so whenever I was growing up, Jam Pack used to be a demo disc for the PlayStation 1 and the PlayStation 2. It was a series of demo discs that were associated with PlayStation Underground. And so essentially, whenever you would buy these for around $5, you got a bit of a taste for that season's video games. My favorite used to be the Winter of 2000, which had stuff like Crash Bandicoot and all kinds of cool games on it. But the overall gist of the disc itself was to give you a taste of everything happening in the gaming industry in that specific point in time. And that is exactly what I always did on Caffeinate. And so I thought, hey, why not go ahead and make a show based on that same concept, giving you a taste of everything happening in the gaming industry. And lo and behold, there we have it, the Jam Pack Report coming soon, specifically starting tomorrow, or I guess officially today, if you really want to call it that, to a podcast service near you. If you do want to subscribe via Spotify, via Apple.podcast, whatever all of these services are, it's going to be available there. But to those live in the chat, I appreciate your support. I appreciate the love. It is very exciting 
uh, to continue to do what I love and to continue to grow the show and to grow the podcast and to grow the content lineup. I'm very, very excited for the rest of 2019. I have a brand new place. I have uh, the best version of the setup that I've ever had, and I have the time and the desire and the the passion to continue to grow and evolve this little project that I've been doing for basically 10 years at this point, which makes me feel incredibly old. Uh, but that's essentially what we've got going on. Again, we have a brand new layout. We have a brand new name. We have a brand new podcast, various lineup of graphics that I've been working on basically all night. Literally for the past 12 hours, this is what I've been doing. It has been quite fun, I must admit. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, but I appreciate the love and support. I cannot wait for the future of the show. But without further ado, what are we going to be talking about on today's episode of the Jam Pack Report? We are going to be talking about the fact that Nintendo will fix broken Joy-Cons for free. Microsoft is dropping Cortana from the Xbox One as part of another dashboard redesign. Corsair has purchased Origin PC, which is a pretty big get for them. Cyberpunk 2077 has no pre-order bonuses. A Disney investor thinks that it should acquire Activision Blizzard and Overwatch artist says Sigma. He has no shoes. Why? Because he is going to be selling the Asylum look as he begins to make a big wave in the Overwatch community. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the first official episode slash the last official episode of Caffeinate, but the first official episode of The Jam Pack. You remember that, that whole spiel we just went on where it's a new show? Yeah, welcome to The Jam Pack Report. Let's go ahead and dive into it. First off, Nintendo will fix broken Joy-Cons for free and refund prior repairs. Following continued reports that Nintendo Switch's Joy-Con controllers are drifting, a Vice story today claims that Nintendo is instructing its customer service reps to repair the controllers for free, no questions asked. And anyone who has previously paid to get one repaired will now be refunded. Speaking with a source familiar with Nintendo's updated customer support documentation, the Vice report says the company's internal documents now include the lines, quote, Customers will no longer be requested to provide proof of purchase for Joy-Con repairs. Additionally, it is not necessary to confirm warranty status. If a customer requests a refund for a previously paid Joy-Con repair, confirm the prior repair and then issue a refund. Nintendo's only statement on the issue was earlier this week and was simply a vague recommendation that anyone affected by the issue visit the company's support website. If the changes listed in this story have indeed been made, that would indicate Nintendo is now taking the matter a lot more seriously. Joy-Con drift is an issue where the thumbsticks on Nintendo Switch's controllers detect movement and begin to drift even when the player is not touching the controller. Nintendo has been reached out to for comment by Kotaku, but none has been received as of yet. And so this is a story we have been talking about over the course of the past few days where more and more people are talking about this Joy-Con drift uh, that is ruining gameplay experiences across the board. And I spoke about this a couple of days ago. Uh, this needs to be addressed very, very quickly, and it needs to be addressed before the Nintendo Switch Lite begins to roll out, because if you use the exact same schematic to create the controller for the Nintendo Switch Lite, that's a big problem, because the Joy-Con, if you call them that, on the Nintendo Switch Lite are not able to be detached. You cannot go and buy a new set of Joy-Con. You have to use the ones that are built into the device itself, which is a much bigger headache if you do actually need to send it in for repair, as you would expect, because Nintendo is notoriously uh, long-winded when it comes to the amount of time they take uh, to fix something and ship it back. It's a big pain and it's a big hassle. I've gone through the process before with, I believe, a DS Lite and a Nintendo 3DS, but that's beside the point. Is this a step in the right direction? 
Absolutely. I think that Nintendo is always going to strive to take care of the consumer first and foremost. They've always been that way, and they've always been a quality company uh, that treats the people that buy their products with respect, and this is just another example of how they're doing that. With that being said, you had to kind of stiff arm them a little bit there. I mean, they weren't going to be doing this right out of the gate, which is a bit marginally disappointing. At the same time, it is good to see they are, in fact, taking this seriously. They are, in fact, working to ensure that the Joy-Cons are getting fixed and that those that already did pay for repairs are going to be getting a free refund in full, which is, of course, fantastic. Uh, but again, this needs to be fixed because you have so many hardware revisions coming down the pipe uh, that if you have some kind of faulty design, it needs to be addressed before the production really gets going on all of these devices. And of course, much of the production is probably already underway. So maybe some of that has to be scrapped. Maybe Nintendo might have to start over completely on maybe even the production of the DS Lite, or excuse me, the Nintendo Switch Lite. Uh, but I digress. We will see how this affects the overall production cycle in the coming months as we inch closer and closer to the release of not only the Nintendo Switch Lite, but also a brand new hardware revision for the foundational basic version of the Nintendo Switch, which does have a larger battery life coming later on this fall. But I did want to keep you guys up to date. And of course, Boss in the chat says, nice. I'll let my friend Travis know about this. If you know anybody that is having any kind of issues with your Nintendo Joy-Cons or their Nintendo Joy-Cons, let people know that they can get a full refund, that they can get their stuff fixed for free because there's no reason to go out and spend $80 on a new set of Joy-Con when you can just get a brand new pair or at least a repaired pair sent back to you for literally nothing. Literally nothing. It's a very good price in my opinion. However, for those that are not fans of the Nintendo lineup, maybe you like the Xbox One, and Microsoft is dropping Cortana completely from the Xbox One as part of another dashboard redesign. Another redesign and another loss for Cortana. Microsoft is once again tweaking its Xbox One dashboard design and removing the Cortana Digital Assistant. The software maker has started experimenting with what it describes as a more streamlined user interface for the home section of the Xbox One dashboard. This is the area you immediately see when you power on an Xbox One console. The new design includes quicker access to Xbox Game Pass titles, Microsoft's Mixer service, Xbox Community Feature, and the Microsoft Store. We have heard your feedback and have continued to iterate on home to get you into your gaming experiences faster and keeping more of your content front and center, explains Bl Bradley Rossetti, excuse me, cool name, Microsoft's Xbox Insider Chief. With this new experimental home design, the first thing you will notice is we have removed the twist from the top of home in favor of separate buttons that launch your gaming experiences. This should make it easier to access frequently used games on the home screen. Microsoft is testing this new home screen with Xbox Insiders in the Alpha and Alpha Skip Ahead rings, and the company is looking for feedback. Microsoft has tweaked its Xbox One dashboard multiple times since the console launched, trying to improve the often clunky user experience. There was a fluent design update back in 2017 and a big redesign in 2015 that preceded a new focus on speed. Alongside this latest home update, Microsoft is also removing Cortana from the Xbox One. Microsoft says it's moving to cloud-based assistance, meaning you can no longer talk to Cortana via your headset. You will still be able to power on an Xbox One through the Xbox skill for Cortana on iOS, Android, or Windows, just like the existing Alexa integration. It is no surprise to see Cortana disappearing from the Xbox One. Microsoft has a new focus for Cortana on more business-related scenarios, and the company is working on making Cortana better at holding conversations. Microsoft 
also previously decoupled Cortana from Search in the recent Windows 10 May 2019 update, and now the company is bringing Cortana to the Microsoft Store as a separate app. Removing Cortana from the Xbox is another step in the digital assistant's demise on the consumer side of Microsoft's software and services. And so, as we see in the chat, I don't use my Xbox often, so Cortana was barely used. It's true, number one, the Xbox One beginning to kind of wind down a bit. Not entirely, but the next generation of consoles is beginning to kind of, you know, come into the mix, so to speak, and so less people are going to be playing, less sales are going to be happening with the console, and so now we are moving into the sunsetting phase of this console generation. But what's up with Cortana being removed? Uh, quite frankly, I believe that Xbox on the back end is beginning to prepare for the next dashboard, preparing for the next generation of hardware and what the software for that piece of hardware is going to look like. And I would say you are not going to be seeing any kind of Cortana Digital Assistant as they continue to migrate more towards a business use for that specific little piece of uh, technology. Uh, I want to point out just how much the Xbox One has changed since it was launched. I mean, think about the overall marketing that the console itself was based off of. The idea of the Xbox One was to be the one-stop shop for entertainment. You could plug in a television. You could watch live TV through your Xbox One. You could play games, obviously, on it, but the whole thing was this one-stop shop for your entertainment hardware space, and now they have completely stepped away from that. In fact, at E3 this year, they said it was going to be good at one thing for the next generation, playing games. They focus on the gaming core of the Xbox One. Microsoft has flipped entirely, and so now that you don't even have a digital assistant, it seems like almost uh, a bit of a regression back to where it is just a basic Xbox console, a box designed for playing games. And that's good. That's what Xbox needs. Uh, I don't need a digital assistant on everything. I bought an Amazon Echo on Prime Day, and I already returned it because, quite frankly, I don't need it. Nobody necessarily needs them. And to have more than just one is simply overkill. So, yes, Cortana is useful for some people that were power users of it, but overwhelmingly, I don't see this as much of an issue overall. And I see this as, on the back end, them preparing for the next generation and what that is, in fact, going to entail. Uh, but it could be an exciting time to see what happens with the Xbox One. Of course, like I said, we are kind of in the limelight phase of the console itself, uh, or excuse me, the sunset phase of the console itself, but many games still coming out for it. Uh, the backwards compatibility feature is bringing a lot of value to the Xbox One, even in 2019, for those that want to go back and play some of the generation's biggest games, and of course, generations that have come prior. Uh, but if you do want to pick one up, I have seen them on sale on eBay. Uh, it's beginning to get to that point when a price drop is probably inevitable, and we also just had the brand new release of the Xbox One S all digital if you want to get in on the low, low end of the Xbox lineup instead of getting the X, which is the more powerful console on the market right now. But the dashboard redesign, again, big deal for those that are still playing Xbox, of which there are very many people. And so we will see how that works out. But if you are in the market for a PC, you might notice something a bit different. Corsair just made a major play in the PC gaming space by acquiring Origin PC. The Corsair One is not going anywhere. Corsair on Wednesday announced it has acquired Origin PC, a well-known builder of custom gaming and enthusiast systems. The buyout gives Corsair another avenue to move its components and peripherals, which range from computer memory and storage drives to gaming headphones and streaming gear. Origin PC will remain its own brand, but one thing that will change is Corsair will leverage the acquisition to preload its IQ software onto desktops and laptops sold by Origin PC. Integrating the Corsair IQ software ecosystem into Origin PC systems will offer gamers system-wide lighting synchronization and performance monitoring, while also 
announcing a range of Corsair Hydro X series custom cooling to be found in select Origin PC systems. Further cooperation and integration of Corsair and Origin products will be announced in the near future, according to Corsair. Origin PC was founded 10 years ago by former executives of Alienware, which itself had been acquired by Dell in 2006. In celebration of its 10-year anniversary, Origin PC this week showcased a sweet one-off gaming PC it built with a liquid-cooled PS4 Pro and Xbox One X integrated inside, along with a custom Nintendo Switch dock it called the system, the Big O. Corsair, meanwhile, has been in business for nearly 25 years. It started off selling memory products, but has since expanded to cover a wide spectrum of parts and peripherals. Around this time last year, Corsair acquired Elgato Gaming, which effectively expanded its reach even further into the streaming category. Incidentally, Corsair also builds and sells its own line of gaming desktops, including the Corsair One and Vengeance PC, both of which we consider, they say, a PC gamer to be among the best gaming PCs, and Corsair says it will continue to offer its own branded range of systems. Now, for those that don't know, Origin PC is huge in the PC gaming space. Whenever you're talking about buying something that's pre-built or custom-built, uh, essentially something you are not building yourself, Origin PC is always among the names that are thrown around, and that's because they make quality products for a relatively reasonable price considering what you're getting. Uh, but the main thing here that I want to talk about is the deal, the art of the deal, as the President of the United States might put it. Uh, Corsair is making some fantastic moves. Of course, last year we saw the acquisition of Elgato Gaming, uh, which has been phenomenal for Corsair, and we have seen that collaboration grow Elgato by leaps and bounds. The funding that has been received from that collaboration has allowed incredible products to crop up. Of course, in the past few years, we have seen the Stream Deck, the Stream Deck Mini. We've seen two iterations of a green screen. We have seen brand new capture cards. Uh, we have seen Camlink and Camlink 4K come out. They are making some incredible peripherals for the streaming space, and they have almost a monopoly on the amount of technology and hardware that people use for streaming. I personally use their capture cards, I use their green screens, I use their cam link. They make some quality products and I've had many iterations of the Stream Deck. It was a good move. Origin PC's acquisition by Corsair, another big move. I mean, now you can literally build a bundle hypothetically, if this were to be the way that it worked, but maybe it won't. But you could literally, through Corsair, buy a brand new PC, tons of streaming gear, and on top of that, get some various Corsair products that you would expect them to make at this point. Uh, so overall, this is a fantastic business move, getting to be a bit shady, but hey, every company involved in this, whether it be Elgato, Corsair, or Origin PC, they all operate independently and just kind of collaborate with one another. Some money exchanges hands, but at the end of the day, there is still a lot of freedom. There is still a lot of independence and it's not just one big monopoly over the space and of course they aren't the only computer company out there they aren't the only peripheral creation for streaming company out there there is plenty of other competition so we don't have anything to be worried about quite yet but if you do want to buy some cool stuff now you can get an origin pc which is now owned by corsair and while you're at it, throw in a Stream Deck, pair of headphones maybe, uh, maybe a brand new cam link or a capture card, uh, whatever you might need. They've pretty much got you covered for your content creation slash gaming needs. But they don't have Cyberpunk 2077. No one has it right now. But you can pre-order it, and guess what? It doesn't matter what edition you pre-order, there are no pre-order bonuses. Quote, we don't do that. Everyone gets the same game. Cyberpunk 2077 won't have any pre-order bonuses. A user over on Reddit asked the game's official Twitter account if there would be any incentives, and the developer's reply is rather refreshing. We don't do that. Every person that buys the game gets exactly the same game 
in-game content, no matter if they buy it in pre-orders on release date or two years later. At this point, CD Projekt Red has a reputation for being consumer-friendly, and this kind of stance is only going to enhance that. With The Witcher 3, for example, standard retail copies of the game came with a number of extras, and post-launch, the title received a number of totally free content updates that included an entirely new quest. Even the game's outstanding expansions were priced way lower than many expected. Of course, it is going to be noted that Cyberpunk 2077 does have an expensive collector's edition, but that also doesn't include any in-game bonuses as far as we are aware. So how do you feel about CD Projekt Red not including any kind of pre-order bonuses? Oh, thank God. It is so refreshing. It is like a breath of fresh air because pre-order bonuses are such a pain. And also, they don't... here's the deal with pre-order bonuses, okay? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to lay into it, all right? Whenever I was younger, pre-order bonuses got me. I used to love getting some kind of in-game item, some kind of early access to some kind of cosmetic, whatever it might be. They used to really get me and reel me in with this kind of thing. But the older I've gotten, the more it's just become a nuisance. Because it tends to be, nine times out of ten, it's some kind of in-game cosmetic. Whether it be a skin for a gun, whether it be some kind of outfit for a hero, whatever you might be talking about, that's generally the type of content you are going to be getting if you pre-order a game in 2019. And so if I don't pre-order and I buy on day one or I rent from Redbox, it's not that my gaming experience experience is going to be any lesser. The overall experience of playing the game is not going to be bad. It's not going to be changed. But there's this one little thing that's missing, and man, that's irritating. It's kind of like whenever you have uh, a, a one little dead pixel on your monitor. Why is it there? Can we make that go away? And unfortunately, in many situations, you simply cannot. That's just the nature of the beast, and that's how I feel about pre-order bonuses. It's just one little thing that's missing, and you could have just had this entire full, fleshed-out experience, but no. You had to take the, the unicorn skin and, and pop it out for a GameStop exclusive. And what's even worse is whenever there are multiple pre-order exclusives. So it depends. If you want to go pre-order the game at Best Buy, you get the Best Buy exclusive skin. But guess what? If you pre-order a GameStop, you get another exclusive skin. Which one do you want? You can't get everything. It's such a nuisance. It's such a pain in the ass. And so I'm glad to see that Cyberpunk is not going to include that kind of play in their pre-order bonuses. Uh, but, of course, if you do want to pre-order Cyberpunk 2077, I have seen it go down to as low as $50 on Amazon if you do want the base edition of the game. Coming out in April of 2020, if you did want to pick it up and check out what the future does entail. And, of course, CD Projekt Red have been working on this one for a long time. Keanu Reeves making waves at E3 2019. Very exciting time for those that are fans of the big boy company. Now, let's talk about Disney. A Disney investor thinks it should acquire Activision Blizzard, but it wouldn't be cheap. Disney has not so slowly been gobbling up the world of entertainment, placing countless companies and universes into the House of Mouse. One investor reckons it should now add Activision Blizzard to the list, suggesting that esports would be a good fit for Disney's TV networks. I briefly allow myself to imagine Blizzard getting the Star Wars license, but as interesting a prospect as that could be, letting Disney monopolize another industry probably isn't a great idea. With Activision's share price dropping over the last few months, however, investment company Gerber Kowalski Incorporated thinks now is the time for it to get snatched up. Kowalski Incorporated's Nick Licoris, I believe I said that correctly, told Bloomberg that it's an ideal time for Disney to make the acquisition, with the streets of video game land allegedly paved with gold. The company owns over $22 million worth of shares in Disney and $4.3 million in Activision. Disney has already dabbled in games, but it's had more successes in licensing and properties to publishers like EA, which has held on to Star Wars license for years. Acquiring Activision would give it a large list of talented studios that would probably be eager to root around in its big box 
stocks of universes. Activision is currently valued at around $37 billion, so it's still pretty steep. Lucasfilm only cost Disney $4 billion. That's only $4 billion, by the way. Uh, but would it be a good move? Would it be a profitable idea, a, a good idea for Disney to acquire Activision Blizzard? It's a lot to think about because there's a lot going on within Activision Blizzard. And of course, we have seen these acquisitions hurt companies before. Uh, we just saw Bungie regain its independence from Activision Blizzard, and the company has been better off for that. And so what would it look like for one shark that has been swimming in the ocean eating smaller fish to be eaten by a whale? And that whale is named Walt Disney. It could be a big game changer for those that are paying attention to the entertainment space. Of course, Activision Blizzard itself, a huge company in the gaming space, one that is just a Goliath, and so it could very well change the overall industry as we know it. If I had to guess how this would go, and again, this is not happening, this is just how this might go, you would see Activision Blizzard essentially maintain its independence, but be able to function with a lot more money and be able to use all of these Disney properties. But again, is that a good idea? We have seen Disney come in and purchase big name titles, big franchises, and use these IP uh, to their advantage to create tons and tons of content. Look what they've done to Star Wars. It's like in The Godfather when he says, look at what they did to my boy. There are so many Star Wars movies that there's just too much to keep up with. Uh, you see the exact same thing going on with Marvel. Not that Marvel's a bad universe, not that the Marvel franchises are necessarily doing bad, but there's just so much content that it's becoming a bit oversaturated. What would happen if they came in and got Activision Blizzard? That's the big question here. Could we see a ton of games? Could we see too many games? Could we see low quality, big budget titles pushed out and they've hit flat? It depends. There are so many outcomes here that nobody can really be sure of what exactly would happen if Activision Blizzard was to be acquired by Disney. But again, it's a lot of money, but it's Disney, so they have plenty of money. It's still up in the air, but it's interesting to see that a Disney investor thinks that Activision Blizzard should be acquired by the company. However, to wrap up today's show, the first, again, inaugural episode of the Jam Pack Report, Overwatch artist says Sigma's bare feet meant to sell the Asylum look. Wait, what? They say at Polygon? That's right. Overwatch's latest hero, Sigma, was introduced to the world as an astrophysicist who goes mad while studying black holes. One thing that stood out to fans at the time was that Sigma was floating around with bare feet for seemingly unexplained reasons, but recent comments by a Blizzard developer reveal that the two details are actually related. Over at ArtStation, a website where artists can display their work for fans and recruiters, Blizzard character artist Kui Fang recently uploaded Sigma's concept art. I had an amazing time working on this, they note in the caption for the piece. In the comments, someone inevitably mentions that they hope Sigma's future skins will include shoes. This may seem like a strange reaction, but Sigma's toes have sparked confusion and grossed out reactions from the fandom community, as it seems strange to be an armored fighter who happens to leave one part of his body so vulnerable. In response, Fang says the bare feet are included because it's part of the character's backstory. They explain, Thanks for your feedbacks. We decided to keep the bare feet to sell the asylum look a bit more in many institutions. Patients are not allowed to have shoes because they might harm with laces. While Sigma isn't necessarily in danger of that, we felt that having no shoes helped draw that connection. I also had iterations of him with shoes on and it made him a lot more generic, so in the end we ended up giving him bare feet. That's just what the reasoning internally was, though I'm sure we will be making skins with shoes on him in the future. Basically, it makes sense that folks are confused. The design choice is meant to evoke an association 
that, by the character designer's own admission, Sigma isn't necessarily in danger of. What's curious about this information is that a seemingly absurd detail is actually related to a different, more controversial detail, Sigma's mental health situation. After his reveal, some fans critique Blizzard for using poor mental health as a shorthand for villainy. Traditional madness tropes such as this one can help reinforce stigma around mental illness. They say it Polygon, I say nay. I think that this is just a mad scientist and that people are too sensitive in 2019. Oh no, did I say that? My bad, I'm sorry. Uh, but overall, this is a pretty interesting little backstory, and I like this little piece of news. I like this little piece of content because, again, you do have a mad scientist, and you have this guy that's gone insane while studying black holes and trying to figure out gravity. All these, all these strange little things have blown his mind, and so with the mind blown, what can you do except take off your shoes? That's how I feel every day when I get off work. Uh, but no, nonetheless, I think it's cool character design, and I do agree with the artist's take that if there were shoes on this mad scientist, he would overwhelmingly be a relatively run-of-the-mill, regular-looking dude just out there floating around. So, hey, at least now you know Bald Guy with Bare Feet is the new character in Overwatch, so at least there's something to stand out there. But again, the game itself in a really good place right now, I think. I don't play it on a regular basis, but I will say it seems like things are looking up for Overwatch. The Overwatch League doing very well, as I said on yesterday's episode of the show. Uh, but I'm excited to see what the future does hold and how the community continues to react to everything that happens within the world of Overwatch and in the overall gaming community, because you never do know what people are going to say. It's always a crazy time out there in the world of video games. Uh, but that does wrap up the inaugural episode of the Jam Pack Podcast and also the final episode of Caffeinate, depending on how you want to look at it. Of course, if you do want to subscribe to the show, you can check it out on anchor.fm slash Samuel Adams, which then links you to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever kind of podcast service you need. You can find it over there. And then the show is also up on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media. But if you do want to catch the show live, it is up on on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams five days a week, Monday through Friday, if you do want to stay up to date on the hottest gaming news. But until tomorrow, thank you guys so much for helping me celebrate the first episode of the Jam Pack Report. I will talk to you soon and enjoy the rest of your night. Peace.